The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyse. A self-contained podcast, who knows how long, located between your ears. A place of discussion and fun for newcomers and veterans alike. A shining download online, all alone on the web. It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, the year the Introcast Wars came upon us all. This is the story of the Babylon 5 Introcast. The year is 2014. The show, down below. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm in. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are once again joined by special guest. Say hello to Lori. Hey, welcome hey. back. Lori. Yeah, it's back. good to get you back, too. Yeah, we really enjoy hearing from you and Carl every week. <laughs> <laughs> we have fun watching, and uh, yeah. he's my, he's my, uh, my newbie here. Cool. Did you guys watch it together oh. this time? We did, yep. Nice. Um, he yeah. had some of the same reactions you guys did. Um, <laughs> not He wasn't quite as shocked when Sinclair showed up. I think he was kind of expecting it. Um, you know, in the, uh, or the, the video, he like you all were really, really shocked. We didn't um, think we'd ever see that actor again. Yeah. Yeah, Carl probably hasn't heard over and over again that, you know, Sinclair had to leave the show and... I mean, uh, the actor had to leave the show and everything. So. Yeah, I I told him it was due to some medical issues, but I didn't really go into probably as much detail. Right. Yeah, it was a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be really good to hear all Carl's thoughts throughout this episode. I bet he's I did some really take good notes. ones. <laughs> I was right. just uh, trying to see if he would give me any other predictions, though he doesn't. He doesn't really like doing predictions. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it is. Today we are here to discuss episode 9 of season 2, The Coming of Shadows. But first, here's an ISN special report. Welcome to your ISN special report. There is breaking news at this time. War has been declared after the Centauri nearly annihilated a Narn colony. This also comes with the news of the death of the Centauri Emperor, who visited Babylon 5 this week. The Prime Minister, who was next in line for the throne, was assassinated. A cousin of the Emperor has taken his place. People are hopeful that Babylon 5 will still be a place of peace, as Ambassadors Jakar and Malari worked together to return Narn citizens to their home planet. In these dark times, stay tuned to your ISN special reports. The Coming of Shadows originally aired February 1st, 1995. It was directed by Janet Greek, who seems to get all the really important episodes. Or a lot of, yeah, a lot of them. Go Janet. It was written by JMS. Yes, it was. And I believe it won an award as well, didn't it? Yes, it, it won did. the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Oh, okay. That's a sci-fi award, right? Right. 1996. Yeah, oh, more okay. recent uh, award winners have been um, episodes of Doctor Who, I think Blink won it and things like hmm. that. I think it mentions some like some Star Trek episodes as well have won it. Yeah. And that is only for TV, right? That award? 
No, it's I mean, that uh, um, dramatic presentation. Oh, uh, that single thing, I think so, yeah. Right. That award, is essentially. But there's plenty of other awards. They run the gamut of all sci-fi, I think. I think there's even one for podcasts now as well. Hmm. fingers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get started with the recap. The episode begins on Centauri Prime, the home world of the Centauri Republic. Is that the first we've heard the full name of the Centauri homeworld of the Centauri Republic? It's definitely the first time we've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think we've heard with Centauri Republic, and we've definitely okay. heard Centauri Prime. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, so we've heard that. Just, well, yeah, never seen it. Were you all excited to see it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some great CGI. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a building in... Uh, Birmingham Town Centre, that looks a lot like it's Centauri architecture. Oh, yeah? Interesting. I'll have to post it on the Facebook group. Was that building there before or after this? (laughs) I'm not sure. I definitely noticed after I saw this episode. I definitely noticed it then, but I don't know when it was built. But it almost had like like an Asian style to it, like the, the tops of the building. I don't know, it kind of reminded me of Asian style, but maybe that was just really fast. Yeah, no, I kind of get that, too. And then the way the interior of the rooms looked, and all the veils, and... Very opulent. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, yeah, it's meant to emulate the whole um, imperial feel of certain parts of them, especially the Roman one. So, because we've got a thread on the um, group about that, about how, yeah, the Roman Republic... Uh, basically ended up being run by emperors, but never changed its name. Mm-hmm. So we see the prime minister speaking to the emperor, and we never hear a name for either one of these two. Yeah, um, but um, what's it? We do actually um, get confirmation from that from JMS. I'm not sure whether it's mentioned later in other episodes, so I won't, I'm not yeah. sure whether I should mention it. Yeah, what, sure the emperor's name, later. or...? Yeah. Yeah. Is- is yeah, it I don't. Spoilerific? It's not exactly spoilerific. It's actually a nice little Easter egg for this episode. I mean, I don't mind knowing it, but. Yeah, I don't think it'd spoil anything. I'm just checking with Will. I uh, know, it's fine. Uh... Yeah, um, the Emperor's called Emperor Torhan, and it's actually named after the actor because oh. Um, oh. the actor's Torhan Bay. <laughs> okay, so they. <laughs> so they were just lazy, really. I think, yeah, I think it's more that they're impressed by the actor and I'm not exactly aware of his um, pedigree as an actor, but um, I know that JMS was impressed by it, I think. No, he was good. He was very good. Yeah, I read that he originally he came in and auditioned for, I think it was the uh, the part of the old guy in the Grail episode, but they, I think it I, didn't work out, and they also didn't feel like he was right for that or so, something um, like that. I think it was actually ah. for Elric for the Techno oh. Mage. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He was he was very good in this, this though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they thought he was too nice to be the Techno Mage, so they wrote this part for him. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, you can't really tell if he's just you know acting or if that's. How he comes across all the time, I guess. <laughs> um, what else has he been in? Do you know? Um, I didn't see anything that jumped out, but he does have a long career. Okay. The prime minister was also named after the actor it's Malachi. This is his real name is Malachi Throne, and 
it's been on I saw the man from uncle lost in space and some different star trek shows and he did some voices in avatar the last airbender I have to say, though, Malachi really does sound like a Centauri name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you don't really Brown. see a lot of <laughs> Malachi's. <laughs> yeah. Outside of Children of the Corn movies, that is. <laughs> so, Emperor's going on a trip. The Prime Minister's going to stay behind in case there is a tragedy. And the Emperor does a lot of talking. He's appreciative of how much the Prime Minister has helped him out. I suppose and he... he... Yeah, okay. sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. I was just saying, yeah, even... This first impression of the Emperor, he's not like other Centauri. Well, that was really like the first thing Carl said. He's, he's like, is he a Centauri? He looks nothing like a Centauri because he doesn't have the hair and it's only a wig. And he just not only looks human, but he just seemed more human. He didn't really act like a Centauri. And he was wondering, like, what was the, you know, kind of what were they trying to say by making him look completely human? Yeah. I think it's a very interesting choice because, you know, you're physically stripped away the hair, the symbol of um, Mayan Centauri status. And in addition to that, he's at the end of his life. He's just been stripped away of all, um, you know, desire of what's it, responsibility and duty. He, he's now looking to do what he thinks is right rather than what he thinks is right for the Centauri people almost. Yeah. Is this where you, there's like a, a Minbari and a human in the throne room? I saw some... I didn't see that. that. No. I'd never I noticed yeah, it. Yeah, it was in the notes and I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to remember to look for that on rewatch and then I was listening to your commentary and I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I'd never noticed them, but apparently it's not really significant. They're, they're on some kind of business, but... Maybe yes. they're in the background. I've never noticed them, though. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to pay attention to anything but, you know, the girls in the veils and, like, him, yeah. you know, like, that's, like, what's taking your attention. And then what... just his different look, you know. He's oh, all definitely. in white. You know, he doesn't yeah. have the hair. Um, that whole idea. the hair. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting what he... of him wearing completely white as a stark contrast to everything else. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it strips him down because everything else is opulent and, look, you know, the lap of luxury and vibrant colours, and he's just all in white. Right. And very minimalist and more innocent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked what he said about the, the wig, though. He said... Um, you know, we should be more like the women. The women are the ones that shave their heads. <laughs> so what he said, he said that's because um, they didn't want to, to deal with it or they wanted to rise above the, um, I don't know, just the well, superficiality yeah, of it. I'm not sure. It's almost, uh, I'm not sure whether that's why they shave their heads or he's saying that uh, right. that's what we should do to rise above it because, you know, the, the women shave their heads uh, for a different reason, I don't know. I'm not sure yet at the moment, uh, especially this point in the season. Right, and it seemed like he does. He does know, like he has a very high chance of passing away on this trip. You know, I think that's part, probably why. You know, one of the main reasons he wanted that guy to, st- the prime minister, to stay. Yeah, I have to wonder whether he's had a vision. Hmm. Mm, yeah, he, a death vision. You know, yeah, and only recently he's realised where he has to go. That only recently he realized it's Babylon 5. It's perhaps um, a Vorlon was in the vision. 
<laughs> oh, perhaps, mm-hmm. yes. Very interesting. That's why he's asking about it, of all on. Yeah, JMS did say that the Emperor probably did see his death, or maybe he saw cautions dream. So next we're back on Babylon 5. Jakar is talking to Sheridan. He doesn't like that the Emperor is coming to visit the station. Sheridan argues that this Emperor had nothing to do with the occupation and that he's going out of his way to do good thing for the Narn people. Uh, he thinks it's great that the Emperor's coming, so he's going to allow him to come. Jakar says he should have shouldn't have thought that Sheridan would understand and it's Sheridan warns him not to do anything he will regret, and Jakar says it's too late. Hmm. He's not happy at all. Well, this is all new information, right? We About the Emperor. Um, right. Yeah, because, I mean, really, we didn't know much about the Emperor at all, and now we're finding out that, basically, he has offered concessions to the Narn and wants to return territory, and um, we're kind of seeing how different, I guess, he is from what we've seen of the Centauri so far. And I guess that's, that's oh, why he's uh, so unpopular. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you especially if you put in contrast with Lord Reaper. Yeah, yeah. But I'm still. I mean, I know we're kind of. I'm kind of talking about this as a theme for the whole episode. But I still can't quite figure out what the Centauri are wanting. Are they just wanting to conquer Narnia because they want more territory and power? Do they have a specific animosity towards the Narns? Or uh, I think. You get it from Reaper later in this. They feel like they used to be this great empire, this galaxy-spanning power, and they want to return to that. They want a resurgence, a renaissance of power, a renaissance of glory, basically. So, are we supposed to take from it, take from that, that in order to do that, they have to conquer existing territories rather than, let's say, find new ones to expand to? I think part of it as well has to do with the long-standing conflict with the Narns and the fact that they used to enslave the race and the Narns rose up against them. And that was the start of the Centauri's de- decline, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's a point of pride mm, with the Narns. Mm. All right, so after the credits, uh, we see a guy arrive on the station... He's been there three times this month, and he's found what he's looking for, who is Garibaldi. So we find out later that this guy is a ranger. He's played by Frederick Laney, maybe? He was Kate's marshal on Lost, the one who arrested her, and he was Azazel on Supernatural. Oh, really? (laughs) Okay. I didn't recognize him, but... And if you actually go back over uh, the episodes of this season... I think you should actually see some rangers in the background. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think I had been noticing that on this watch. So we can recognize them by their conspicuous cloaks? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask a question about the credits? Sure. Why is Natoth not in the credits anymore? She Mm. is in the credits. She is? She was. Yeah. Oh. She's just being played by a different actress, remember? Oh, no, I know that, but... Yeah, it's just maybe, you, you know, you d- don't recognise her because... <laughs> yeah, she goes past quite quickly as well, so I'm not surprised you missed her. Hmm. I haven't been watching the credits. I don't know, I was like, looking for or... her and I didn't see her. Maybe, I don't know. Let's watch next time and I'll watch, watch you again. Yeah. 
because <laughs> I don't usually pay attention. Oh, it's all right. You get to this point in the season, you you probably have stopped paying attention to the credits. No, because I've seen her in the credits before, but for some reason in this episode, I did not see her. Hmm. Maybe it was a, the uh, DVD copy you have, because I know on some versions of the DVDs, the opening credits aren't always the same. Um, so sometimes they might have different credits on. Mm, okay. It was a bit surprising that she wasn't actually in this episode since it focused on Jakar so much. And of course, he mentions her, but he doesn't mention where she is. No, uh, and yeah. there's there's definitely times and places where she could have been there. Mm-hmm. There's actually lines the Narn on the on the view screen said that she could have had. Yeah. Well, we see some Centauri ships come through the jump gate and... Londo and Beer are chatting with Rifa, Rifa, <laughs> who we last saw in the Geometry of Shadows. If I call him Rifa, I'm going to say Rifa. Um, Did you all remember him? He's like, I was thinking on the commentary, you were kind of like, wait a minute, have we seen that guy before? Yes, yes, I definitely came to remember him. I didn't remember what episode he was in, but like, I remember him scheming with Londo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's doing that all over again. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Rifa has arranged for the Emperor to give Londo an audience after his speech. The Emperor thinks it's going to be a progress report, but really, Londo is going to talk about the decline of the Centauri government, and he's going to make some predictions which have already been arranged to come true to make the Emperor look weak. So Londo and Rifa are going to position themselves to move in after the Emperor dies because his health is fragile. I think he's going to die soon. After Rifa leaves, Londo and Veer admit to be uncomfortable about the conversation they just had. So if yes. you watch Veer, did, did you all watch Veer in this scene? He's really good, like with his expressions and he, you know, he doesn't say anything, but you can mm-hmm. tell exactly what he's thinking. The actor is so good. Oh, yeah. And this discomfort just keeps on increasing with every line you hear from Rifa. Oh, yeah, for sure. You could definitely tell it was... He was thinking. I noticed him, and I noticed that statue again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Always noticed the statue. It was right there. (laughs) But, like, so this speech was supposed to be recorded or for a huge audience? It wasn't quite clear, but it must be, because they were expecting this speech to be evidence of their, you know, of Londo's... Yeah, equate it to, you know, say, a presidential visit overseas, so... uh... Most of that is going to be recorded by some sort of media or, you know, whoever their media is equivalent mm-hmm. on Centauri. Mm-hmm. I like how they said, like, he was saying the psycholinguistics division looked over the speech or wrote the speech. That was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, basically propaganda slash, you know, uh, yeah, uh, using psychology. Oh, it reminds me of that book that keeps coming up, The Demolished Man by Alfred Bester, where they were coming up with this jingle and they're choosing the words and the rhythm just right so it would have like the intended effect. Hmm. Oh, okay. I get part of that. Yeah, Carl was thinking that, you know, Rifa's really kind of just, you know, using Londo here that either with either way it went, he's either gonna be set up for a fall if it doesn't work out. Or if it does work out, then he's just going to be a puppet. That uh, you know, I think Londo somewhat realizes that as well. 
Oh, absolutely. If Londo gets in his way, he's he's out. He's gone. Yeah, he's it's, using it's, Londo. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I think it's kind of nice that no matter how bad l- the things Londo is doing seem to us, we know there's a Centauri out there worse than him. <laughs> yeah. So he's not yeah. the worst. <laughs> that's a that's a nice um, tagline for him. Not the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does seem to have regrets, but not enough. Yeah, he regrets it, but he still does it. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's a little bad about it. And he yeah, has his, his fear of conscience. Yeah, whereas yeah. Reaper doesn't seem to have any regrets about what he's doing. Yeah, not fear is Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Emperor arrives, and he's greeted by the command staff and Doctor Franklin, or. Do we decide if Franklin is part of the command staff or is he separate? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a bit of an inconsistency from last week. Yeah. So the Emperor has heard about what they're doing and he's impressed that they're in so much danger in the name of peace. They stand in harm's way. He's curious about Kosh because they sent expeditions to Vorlon space and none of them have returned. Interesting. Very scary. Yeah, I think- and it's pointing out, yes, we're fully aware you haven't seen anything from Kosh recently. We know. <laughs> I know. We were yeah. like, yes, There's I mentioned. <laughs> and then when they say that Kosh isn't coming to the gathering or whatever, we're like, seriously? They even <laughs> mentioned him. <laughs> no, not fair. Over in Jakar's quarters, he's speaking on the screen to a guy named Kamak, I think. Uh, this guy is pay- played by Neil Bradley, who played the purple Drazi in Geometry of Shadows. Yeah. Uh, turns out, well, they say that the first circle of the Kari has endorsed his plan. They think Jakar should take action after the Emperor's speech. He says that his future consists of three probabilities. They'll both die, uh, the Emperor will die, and J- Jakar will spend the rest of his life in prison, or Jakar will fail. He says for the first time in his life, the path is clear. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, you just laid out three different possibilities here. <laughs> the no, they're all pretty tragic. Were you all surprised that he would do this? I, I felt, even having watched it before, I still feel kind of shocked that he would contemplate this. It just seems so radical. And I, it would probably have started a war as well had he been either successful or like been caught in the attempt that's true or it may have started yeah. a war i hadn't really considered that but yeah that is true it's it's not really that londo is willing to do worse things than jakar it's just that londo got there first on a somewhat yeah. grander scale right but though that is fairly you know think of someone trying to assassinate the president i mean that mm-hmm. would you know, someone from, you know, another country that would have just huge, you know, even if he's saying in his letter that this is not sanctioned by the government, you know, the Centauri aren't yeah. going to think that. Oh, especially so considering he's an ambassador as well. Right. Oh, no, yeah, no. his position. He, not like he, some crazy he, guy. He's a member of the government. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that they should be taking into account what the Emperor has done. I can't, I can't believe they're so ignorant as to not have any idea of the emperor you know what he's done in his tenure um towards the narns like he hasn't been aggressive for example but then again i guess Uh, they can't see the difference between what the emperor has done and what has happened to them you know on ragesh have done as 
as a people as well. Mm-hmm. Think about it, um, all the way back to Ragish Three and the situation there and the antagonism from the Centauri government. You could imagine in that that uh, they said, you know, the Emperor might not have been involved in any of that at all. Mm-hmm. Well, the Emperor is deficient there and not, you know, publicly saying anything about it. But, I mean, I have to say that between Jakar and Londo, I see, not that this is any real justification, but I see Jakar as having more reason to act the way he does. I mean, in terms of the long history of colonization and atrocities committed against his people. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. Jakar is acting more out of, I guess, a sense of, I don't know, pride and honor and, you know, for his country, patriotism, I guess, in a way. Um, um, yeah, and Londo is just acting out of selfishness and to get ahead. Another mm-hmm. thing with uh, Jakar as well, you've got to think about um, Deathwalker and um, the um, Vengeance. Um, and I'm blanking on the name. Um, will help me out here. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Oh, Deathwalker. Um, Deathwalker and um, Jakar's aid. Oh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Um, think all the way back to Deathwalker and uh, the vengeance Kodath had on her. It's a, it's a very personal thing, and you know, I could very much see, you know, it's part of the non culture that they'll have this um, code of vengeance that gets passed down the family line, and you know, you take on multiple throughout your life. So. I can very much see, you know, as part of uh, non culture, they making an argument that it was a personal vengeance matter. We respect personal vengeance, but it had nothing to do with us. And I think, didn't Jakar say that it was the Emperor's, like, grandfather or ancestor, that it, there was, like, a direct bloodline or something between yeah, exactly, the, yeah. Yeah, the Emperor who did commit the atrocities and the current one? So, yeah, yes. I think, yeah, um, in, in non-culture, basically, the child pays for the parent's sins. Uh, next, we see Sinclair going to talk to the Emperor. He wants to know if Sheridan chose to be there. But did I say Sinclair or Sheridan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sinclair. It's, it's even more difficult with both of them being in this yes, episode. Yes, no kidding. Much more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> So the Emperor, well, Sheridan did choose to be there. The Emperor realizes that he's never chosen anything in his entire life, and he has a chance to make a difference, and he tends to do it. Well, I disagree. I think he's chosen every day of his life how to act, how to... I mean, it must have been incredibly hard to stand up against the will of this entire people and to not be aggressive and to not try to expand into Narn territory or whatever they seem to want. So, I mean, he may see it that way, but I mean, it, to me, it's clear that he, he made choices many, many times as to how he wanted to live his life. Yeah, I think he's coming to the realization more that he's not seen the choices before him before, even though he had plenty of them. Sometimes you can't see the choices in front of you, even though you make them. Or you may just, oh, go ahead. Oh, I would just say I kind of had a note here about how, like, kind of the choices was sort of a, I guess, overarching theme of the episode because they they are both talking about their choices, and Jakar has his choice of 
you know, trying to assassinate the emperor and Londo makes his big choice and it just seemed oh, like yes. it's kind of a, reoccur- a reoccurring theme. Everyone making their choices. Mm-hmm, that's true. And then right at the end, you know, the Kari make their choice as well. Mm-hmm. I thought how they um, just dropped in a little nugget of information about the planetary draft was interesting. Because we hadn't mm, heard yeah. that before. Oh, yeah, we haven't. But that Shara, he volunteered before the draft. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we see Garibaldi walking through the corridor, speaking to somebody on his staff. They're making preparations for the Emperor's reception. And the man, the ranger we saw earlier, is watching Garibaldi. So, so Carl thought he looked just like Aragorn. <laughs> and I did read, though, in the JMS notes that they are not supposed to be Lord of the Rings rangers, even though it's even the same name. It's like, oh, if anything, funny. they were supposed to be... I read it, now I can't remember, but it was more based on, like, some other kind of, um, you know, figures from literature, but... I always thought of Lord of the Rings as well with the cave. Oh, and, I always did. And like, yeah, yeah. That's what he said in the notes. I'm ashamed of myself for not thinking that. I know. Yeah, I, I didn't think that at all. <laughs> Next, we're back in Jakar's quarters. He's making his will. Space candles. He says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says his government knew nothing and that Natal shouldn't be held accountable, but... You know, his government did know something. Um, How can the pop? Yeah, the that pop one be guy accountable. She's not even there. Yeah, no. know she is. she's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> nope. That could actually be why she's not anywhere. That Jakar deliberately sent her away. Mm, that could be. He does leave his copy of the Book of Jaquan to Natal, which she may find enlightenment. Mm. That was nice. Yeah, I saw the opposite. <laughs> Next, we're at the Emperor's reception. We find out that those women in the veils are telepaths, and they've been raised together since birth, and they're always linked, no matter how far apart they are. And when the Emperor's away, to stay home. I find this a really interesting concept. So are these yeah, telepaths cool. Centauri or human? Centauri. Centauri, okay. yeah. I wasn't positive. Okay. Well, you don't really see what they look like at all Mm-mm. with the veils. Only that they appear to be bald. I think it's interesting they can stay connected even though they're so far away. Uh, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the impression is they're um, quintuplets, um, that they've been born. Mm. They were born together, and that because they were born together and raised together, that this is why they have such awesome telepathic abilities. Okay, I did not get that they were born together. I thought they were just raised together. Said raised since birth, but they all seem the same height. As far as we can tell from the veils, I mean, we can't tell too much, but they all look fairly similar in uh, stature and maybe age. Mm. They would make amazing spies if they didn't wear that gear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't look like Kosh is going to show up at the reception after all, but Jakar does show up. He says he's there to hear. He's willing to hear what the Emperor has to say. And Delenn so picks on up on that so fast. You know, she sees what he's going to do. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. I wasn't watching her. Yeah, she goes, she she sees him, and then she goes towards him, and he moves away. Mm. Yeah, Delenn is quite perceptive, and I'm, I'm not surprised she would have picked up on something like that. 
Well, he came in, he was very aggressive still in his stance and the way he was walking. He wasn't trying to pretend that he was going to be, you know, I don't know, there for just a talk. Mm-hmm. All right, so next we see um, a guy following Garibaldi, that guy again. And Garibaldi set a trap, I guess his Garibaldi sense was going off. <laughs> and they capture the guy and they're going to keep him until the reception is over. He got caught pretty easily. Yeah, he around the corner. <laughs> well, he wanted to see um, Garibaldi, but he didn't realize how paranoid Garibaldi is. And <laughs> he, sh- he should have said, I can't talk to you here. I need to talk to you alone. Sinclair didn't warn him about the Garibaldi sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he really did have just come out and talked to Garibaldi when he first came on the ship, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, next, there are some intercutting going on in the hallway. We see the Emperor coming, and we see Jakar getting ready to do what he's about to do, and Delin going up to him, and he kind of blows her off, and Emperor collapses, and Franklin gets a call. Did you expect this, really? Because it's just a, everything on the, turns on this one action, these, the heart attack, I suppose, I thought the scene was really well directed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't, I there was something about like it was a little bit in slow motion, and it really, I don't know, it really kind of drew you in, kind of to the shock of the moment. I completely agree. I loved the slow mo choice and the music, and uh, yeah, it was really well done. Uh, we just see back on Centauri Prime, the Prime Minister got the news. Yeah, and you seen these four telepaths. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder whether Earth, um, Earth Cycle would actually like, like to figure out how this is done. Oh, I'm sure. In Med Bay, Dr. Franklin wishes he knew about the Emperor's condition. They can't move him because it could be fatal. The Emperor wants Dr. Franklin to deliver an important message. And next we see Rifa talking to Londo. Word has already reached the home world. I'm like, duh, telepath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rifa says their competitors are already moving, so they have to rise above the others somehow. So Londo remembers Morden saying something about picking a target. So he has the idea to attack the listening post in Quadrant 14 that the Narn have been using to spy on them. Rifa thinks it should be theirs anyway. So Londo wants Rifa to have an expedition sent to Quadrant 14. Vera doesn't want Londo to do this because, you know, once you go down the road, you can't go back. But Londo says he has no choice. So Vera kind of reluctantly agrees to go get Morton. But Swanday says that he'll remind Londo of this conversation. The thing is, uh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that rather than in other shows, that's where it ends. Londo tells Lily, sorry, tells Vera that he understands what he's doing. He's fully aware of the dark road he's going down, but he's actually choosing this. He's not unaware of the consequences. Well, why does he think he has no choice, though? Maybe because he's in so deep already, just with the scheming and... I don't know. I mean, this is the turning point, you know? It's like, you made this decision, now now you're completely in it, and you're at fault for the loss of a lot of lives. Oh, definitely. And it's also, he he said to Morden what he wants, 
he wants the renaissance of power and he wants the centauri to rise up to something better and he thinks this is the only way that can happen yeah he may feel if his faction or Rifa's faction doesn't win then they won't be aggressive enough and they'll just go back into obscurity which is you know the thing that he wants most as he was telling i guess mr morden originally was to see the centauri you know in power again I guess he has, doesn't have enough confidence yet to just have him pick a target of the Narn homeworld. Because it seems like that would take mm. care of it. Uh, uh, oh, I also, thought. I also think part of it is he hopes he can be a mediating force of Reaper. That perhaps he sees that Reaper is too much of a slimy git and he's hoping that he might be able to at least tempest some of the action, so he's got to be in charge of making these awful decisions. Now that's your speculation, mm. right? Because that's I didn't my get speculation. That. Okay, that's my speculation here. You have made a good point, Elizabeth, that he could have said something even worse, like the Narn homeworld, but he didn't. I guess he. It, it, I, I felt like he thought he was just saying like the outpost, and hadn't necessarily intended for them to attack the planet as well. Um, because I got the feeling that a lot of people could have been killed on the planet as well, but that wasn't really what he just just said. The outpost, I think, or whatever they called it. Um, because I think at the at the goal here, I guess, was just to show have a show of force, thinking that it was a Centauri, um, something that they wouldn't have normally been able to do. Um, but I guess not get them into full fledged war. <laughs> I don't know what he thought. I mean, I don't know. The and end Carl game was is very disappointed with Londo. He was well, like, Londo, yeah. why are you doing this? Don't do it. Don't do it. But he was also very disappointed that we didn't actually see Mr. Morton. He oh. was really <laughs> mad. <laughs> That's yeah. one of his favorite characters. Yeah. I know. I would totally want to see Morton's reaction and his little smile and his... Yeah. <laughs> his hair. His hair. Yeah. His yeah. outfit. Double-breasted <laughs> suit. Maybe we get another scene in the gardens or something. Hopefully. In Jakar's quarters, he's talking to that guy on the screen again, Kamak, I think. Uh, he's oh, mad that- yeah. This scene <laughs> is just brilliant, scene. isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty funny. He's mad that the Emperor started dying before he could act. And Dr. Franklin comes and Jakar pretends to be concerned about the Emperor. And Franklin tells Jakar what the Emperor's message was. He just wanted to say he was sorry for what his people did to the Narn. And... The Emperor said it was the only choice he ever made in his life, and now it's been taken away from him. I love Jakar's performance in this episode, and this scene especially. His timing is brilliant, and he can go from one emotion to another seamlessly. I'd, I'd like it a lot. I think it really shows what a caliber of actor you've got here. Yeah, yeah, he was just excellent. Even Dr. Franklin wasn't bad in this scene. No, he, yeah, he was. Dr. Franklin was good in this episode as well. I thought, yeah, because you all were saying like how last week kind of felt like, you know, you started to like him a little bit more. And he was good, I thought, this week as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was good. He was fair. He were you all surprised about what the message was? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really. I I really didn't surprised. know what. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing, you know, his a lot about what he's done in the past, it's hard to, you know, like we didn't know that there's there's never been an apology before or anything like that. So, <clears throat> yeah, 
I thought it was in character, you know, from what we've seen of him. Uh, so the next scene, Londo is having a dream. I'm gonna. Oh, is it a vision? Yeah, I think. I think we need to go through this point by point very carefully. Yeah. Okay, but can I ask a question at the beginning of this? Sure. Um, okay, so in the first episode, or I can't remember if it was a movie or the first episode, Londo talks about how he sees himself dying, you know, with him and Jakar's hands wrapped around each other's throats. Right. And he did he mention that he has had this dream multiple times? I believe right. so, mm-hmm. but yeah. the impression of this one is I get, I, well, at least my impression is, I could be wrong, but... The only part of the dream he's had before is the last bit with, um, you know, old Lando and old Jakar, whereas the rest of it might be a new part of the vision. That's what I was wondering. But the other thing is, is like the old Lando has like the Emperor's crown on his head. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, did Lando yeah. see that before? You know, did he has has he always sort of assumed that he's going to become Emperor one day? Well, JMS said that, um, yeah, in his vision, he sees spider vessels uh, and the president she doesn't know what they are but he's had this dream for years now long before meeting morden so this is the dream that he's been having i believe so the hand yeah. coming out and the well let, let's actually go through it step by step because each of okay. them has an important part i think because yes yeah, sorry uh we hear part where from an earlier episode where londo's threatening jakar saying soon you won't have a planet to protect. And we see the attack on Ragus 3, I think it is. Yeah, and then we see a great hand reaching out of the stars, I think. Yeah, just like the Technomage said. So yeah, I was just going to ask if that reminded anyone of anything. Yeah, we see Centauri Prime from orbit, and then we see Londo looking up at the spider ships flying overhead. This this is a cool part. It is very creepy. And I'm sure y'all read, like, JMS said that he has had a recurring dream of looking up and seeing black ships flying over him. Like, oh, I don't know. If, and that's where this inspiration came from. I, to me, that's, like, the creepiest part of the dream. Oh, the sound as well. The sound design of the scream. And the CGI is pretty good on that. The scream oh. of the ships as they go yeah. overhead. It's terrifying. But it's like you don't know whether he is seeing it like as somebody in control of it or something that's got out of control. You know, you don't know the context of this. Like, is in the in this part of the dream, is he feeling in control of these ships, or is he feeling like things have gotten out of his hands? Yeah. Uh, next, we see Londo with the crown being placed on his head. Oh yeah, significant that. I mean, especially given how he looks in this and how he looks later on between the two scenes. I mean, not in the scene where he actually gets crowned. He looks a bit older than he does now, but later on he looks really old. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh Next, we're in the throne room. He's sick and older and looks. he looks around like he's a little disoriented and guess who's there with him? (laughs) One-eyed Jakar. Yeah. (laughs) With one eye with a bandage over it, looking quite rough and quite old as well. Quite scary. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I want to get Heidi and Elizabeth's opinion on this before 
because the rest of it, it these are the important parts uh well i i'm just like this has got to be a metaphor or something because how would jakar ever be in the throne room on satari prime so i mean i don't know um i took it literal like i um yeah like i think that it's a vision of what's going to occur at least that's i what, hadn't really thought about it any other that's way. what carl yeah. thought about thought as well he thought it was supposed to be a future vision but, but that we don't case, know the context if that's the case how i mean maybe it's something to say for the spoilers but sorry the predict something to say for the predictions i yeah i don't know i mean yeah i'm sure it could happen um I just don't know why Jakar would be there. That's my only thing that I think of. He found a portal. <laughs> right into the yeah. room. Yeah. Finally, we see the hand again coming out of the stars before we see Jakar and Londo strangling each other. And Londo wakes up wondering what time it is, and he knows that it has begun. Do you think it's a coincidence that he's having the vision at the same time the attacks are starting? No. Not now. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's only just, it's actually something I only picked up on this time and watching through that the two things are happening at the same time. I thought it was a bit too much of a coincidence. Uh, unless he has these dreams every night. I just thought, well, like, okay, so this is a dream that he's been having, you know, for a while. We don't know exactly how long, but he's been having it for a while. So he knows what's in the dream. So he knows in the future, you know, or he thinks in the future, there, things are going to get to this, the point where he becomes emperor. And that's what he's scheming about right now. Or he's scheming to gain more power. And something's going to happen whereby Jakar and him come to a, you know, a head. And he's just made a choice of something that's going to, to lead to him, one, having more power and the Narn being very angry with him. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably why he had the dream, right? Because, like, he just made this this choice that's leading more towards the vision he's been having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally see that. But, um, but it's not necessarily, like, whatever, fate or something putting it into his mind. It's him knowing this is the possible future, and here I take a step towards it. Mm-hmm. Mm, a subconscious reaction to events. yeah. Next, we're at the Narn Colony in Quadrant 14. We see a bunch of those creepy ships show up, and they start attacking the Narn. And the Narns are no match for them. There, you see how huge they were compared to the Narn ships? Mm-hmm. No one is any match for them. I mean, they just <laughs> slice right through you. Yeah, and we're getting more here. Each time we've seen these ships, they've, they've done more. There's been more of them. And they seem like more of a threat. Yeah, and there's really nothing that anybody's been able to do to penetrate their shields or defenses, however. Yeah. So after they destroyed the Narn ships, the spider ships start attacking the colony. Uh, back on B5, Londo assures Rifa that everything's been taken care of and their forces can move in at any time. And Rifa says they'll have to move quickly. He has... One more obstacle back home he has to take care of, and it's better that Londo doesn't know. Did you guess what it was? Carl <laughs> guessed it that. right away. He's like, <laughs> yeah, that prime minister is toast. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's Carl, 
Carl really seems spot on with what's going on here. Mm, perhaps if I had the subtitles and I could well, follow yeah, everything. Well, yeah, I wasn't... I, I didn't think of it either. And It was harder for you all to focus during the, right. during the commentary. And yeah, yeah, during, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And next, Jakar surprises Londo, and he buys Londo a drink. He doesn't know about the attack yet, but, you know, like you tell that Londo thought he did. So... Jakar toasts the health of the Emperor and perhaps Londo's health as well. <laughs> perhaps. Oh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the look on Londo's face, yeah. he was so guilty. He played that part just perfectly. It it was just an amazing acting job. I mean, he hardly said anything. Um, he was he was amazing. Carl just was like, oh my god, he's got to tell him. Londo's got to tell him what's going on. It's like, yeah, he's not going yeah. to. No, it just shows what a tragedy this is because, you know, all it took was an apology. That's it. And you completely, Jakar just completely transformed. And, yeah. you know, this is a total, you know, dramatic tragedy. Yeah, you really feel for both of them in this scene. You know, yeah. and that that's a great thing. You can put yourself in both positions. So the Centauri for Centauri forces arrive at the colony at the same time as Narn forces, and a fight breaks out. I don't know if it was this scene or the last scene, but Kim Strauss played a Narn pilot. He was With the red eyes. Yeah, no, that was, the, the really open eyes. You know, like had this it wouldn't blink, and it was mm. like yeah. Kim Strauss was what was he purple? No, he was green Drazi, right? Oh, we love green Drazi. Oh, yeah, he's shadows. good. Keeps going back to that episode. <laughs> Do you guys notice that the shapes of the Centauri ships are the same shape as their hair, the male, the male's hair? They, they do hmm. have a brilliant crest on them. Yeah, I noticed that was the Emperor's ship was purple. <laughs> mm, yeah, oh yeah, good purple is ro- the royal color. Uh, Centauri Prime, the Prime Minister, is murdered. But we don't see who it was um, that murdered some him, right? Guys. Yeah. Just uh, well, there was a group of four approaching him. Mm-hmm. But obviously, people that were close, you know, within the palace or whatever it would be. Yeah. Uh, next, Zach Allen goes to see Garibaldi. He says the prisoner wants to speak to him. It's important. So the prisoner sent in. Uh, the ranger says that he was sent there with a message that will explain everything. And Garibaldi plays the message, and it's Sinclair. Yay! <laughs> My God, yeah. Sinclair has long hair. Yeah. yeah. This is the first time I've seen this since I found out the real reason why he left the show. And I was just getting a little, maybe a little emotional there. Aww. <laughs> it was nice to see him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's a testament to the actor and JMS that they didn't let the character go. They've, they've given us this, you know, too often in shows, characters will get written out when you'll never hear about them ever again. Yeah. I don't know what's true or not because this was still when JMS was saying that Michael O'Hare left to pursue other things, but he said that they filmed this scene before he left for New York because by the time they shot the season premiere, he had already left and was pursuing other things. So I'm thinking they may have actually filmed this scene like a while back. That was one thing my my husband was watching as well with us, and um, he was saying you know the way that they did it it was obviously like a recording like the ranger even made a point to pause it a couple of times so it was very obvious even if you like weren't paying attention that closely that it was not like a live stream that it was definitely like a recording 
Um, so it, you know, it could have been recorded like at any time and, you know, like, it, you know, the actual filming of it could have been done at any time as well, too. Yeah. yeah, just, I guess, a matter of how far in advance you plan things, which apparently quite far in advance. He plans way ahead, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. So Sinclair's giving this message to an associate who has to deliver it at all costs, and he explains that his job on the Minbari homeworld is more than just representing Earth, and President doesn't know about this other part yet, so let's keep it hush-hush. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says there's a great darkness coming, and some of the Minbari have been waiting for it for a long time before we go back to see and see. Now, we didn't really... Is this the first time we've heard that the Minbari have been waiting for this, or am I forgetting something? I was surprised by that, so if you've forgotten, so have I. Yeah. Because obviously it seems Kosh knows what's up, but the Minbari, we haven't really seen their reactions to any of this stuff, really. All we know so far is they've been waiting for um, the humans to show up for some reason and there may be something else mm-hmm. it's been very vague up until this point so in cnc ivanova has intercepted a message to jakar from the home world and it was on the open channel so they meant for everyone to hear it, it says the centauri have launched a full-scale assault on a narn outpost and next we're back to Garibaldi. Sinclair explains that this guy who brought him the message is one of his rangers. Some of the rangers are Minbari, but most are human. They're drawn there to learn to work together and prepare for the fight ahead. So they stop the message. The ranger explains that they've been there for two months and they're an army and they're growing. They're not moving weapons through, but they do have friends. What do you make of this concept of rangers then? And especially the fact that uh, Sinclair seems to be involved with them. And it's human and Mimbari together. Mm. Oh yeah, that's another mm-hmm. big thing. Yeah, he's building his own army, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe the concept of the One is not completely dead. <laughs> yeah. No? We may never see his face again, but yeah. maybe we'll hear about him. <laughs> um, no, it's... I just... I just think they need better undercover gear. That's my only thing. (laughs) Maybe it's a fashion statement, then. (laughs) Stay clear of the size. JMS did say that the Rangers, their outfit's supposed to look a lot like the Warrior cast outfit. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. That's right. Yeah, Sinclair explains that the Rangers are his eyes and ears, so when you see them, you see me. (laughs) <laughs> That's to tell us you don't have to see Sinclair. Yeah. But he's there. <laughs> yeah. He's still, still involved. Yeah, his presence is going to be felt. Hey, uh, I don't I saw this note, but I don't remember Sinclair ever saying Garibaldi's name, but JMS said that he never had Sinclair use Garibaldi's last name. I don't remember hearing the first or he last says, name. He but... says I think hello old friend. At the beginning of it, and purposely, I think, didn't use the name because the idea is if that fell into the wrong hands, like if he was captured or killed or whatever, then no one would know who it was for. So he just says, Yeah, that makes sense. And then does the same thing later. Yeah. And we never get to hear what he says. Yeah, that was annoying. 
I mean, he also <laughs> says something at the very end of the message about stay close to the Vorlon and watch out for shadows. Mm-hmm. They look like quite, quote. they move when oh, you're sorry. not looking. <laughs> sorry, uh, if you don't write it, we've got to one. complete it. Yeah, that's okay. I figured that uh, it would probably get said during this discussion, but I liked it. <laughs> it is yeah, we're after season one, which is all signs importance, but we're still getting them. <laughs> um, next in Jakar's quarters, Kamak is telling Jakar about the attack and that Centauri warships were living near Saw. They're not sure how their defenses could have been destroyed so quickly. Jakar is enraged about how Londo shook his hand, knowing what had happened. Yeah, say the right word, Elizabeth and Heidi. You had it in the commentary. He's throwing a tantrum. Yes, yeah. Yep. Yep. He broke his justified, though. He is justified. <laughs> he's justified, but he's a tantrum. Uh-huh. He doesn't, like, flip a table. He picks it up. Yeah, and... yeah. <laughs> well, Sheridan actually said rock. he was throwing a tantrum earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So, back to Garibaldi. Sinclair asks him to give the Rangers every courtesy. He wishes he could say more, but the others don't think it's time yet. Uh, he tells Garibaldi to Stay close to caution. Watch out for shadows. And the message ends and Garibaldi gets a call from Zack about a disturbance in the ambassadorial wing. And then we cut to Jakar who is beating the hell out of everybody. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> He's good. He's got Hulk. Yeah, he clotheslined one guy. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Never <laughs> run at a guy. Jakar, <laughs> Yeah, Carl was surprised at how strong he was. He didn't really realize that their race was supposed to be quite, you know, that strong and powerful. Yeah. Plus, I think he has, like, metallic um, cuffs on his arms, too. <laughs> I think I was probably at the height of my wrestling fandom back in the days when this aired, so seeing somebody get clotheslined was probably... <laughs> <laughs> He goes looking for Londo, but Sheridan, backed by some security officers, convinced him to leave. Now, where was Garibaldi then? <laughs> I guess he sent Sheridan down, or maybe Sheridan said, I'll go, you stay here. Yeah, because he got the call. Yeah. Yeah, unless he couldn't get there in time, and Sheridan happened to be closer. <laughs> yeah. In Med Bay, the Emperor says he would have very much liked to have seen a warline. It made me think about Bilbo. I would like to see my old ring again one more time. <laughs> when Franklin leaves, the Emperor does get his wish, and Kasha shows up. And oh, yeah, he, and I'm sure this is yeah, going to be gonna, quote, so... Yeah, he yeah. just says something cryptic when Emperor asks how it's going to end. Um, hmm, Heidi and Elizabeth, you've been waiting for this. Of course he said something cryptic. It's all Kasha new. <laughs> We're so happy! Yeah, Carl is excited one, too. Gosh, like, two words. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know. That's all we get. It's like, I know. oh, come on. We wait for the cryptic uh, and then. <laughs> so, two words in nine episodes. Yeah. Yes. However, you do see him later in the episode. He's actually gone to a council meeting for once. And he's yeah. paying attention. Mm-hmm. He was in maybe once in the beginning of the season, one or two. I think twice, okay. yeah. But he didn't yeah, say He was anything. there. He just didn't speak. Mm hmm. Is actually moving his headpiece, whatever you call it. I don't know. <laughs> so next, Garibaldi is giving the news to Ivanova and Sheridan. He says his source is highly recommended. And Sheridan knows he's holding something back, but Garibaldi can't tell him. 
So he spills the beans that there's another major race that may have some link to the Centauri government being on the move and doesn't know who, but he definitely thinks the Centauri are giving support. They don't want the information getting out, but Sheridan's going to try to play a bluff. Oh, is this what Sheridan talks about his rule book? <laughs> oh, yeah, number 29. <laughs> I totally want to see this rule book. <laughs> it's like rule number one people love speeches. <laughs> Give as many speeches as possible. Rule number two smile all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rule 1A, even if there's nobody there, still give a speech. <laughs> yeah, rule 10, always have oranges ha- nearby. Everyone likes oranges. <laughs> Emperor's dying in Med Bay. Rifa's telling him about what happened. All they lack is his blessing, but the Emperor kind of shoes him off. He wants to speak to Londo instead. He whispers something to Londo, and then he dies. Mm. The last sensible person on Centauri, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Lando says that the Emperor says said to continue and to take his people back to the stars and the telepaths kind of look at each other and leave. But in the hallway, Lando tells Rifa what the Emperor really said, that they're both damned and Rifa says it's a small price to pay. I would like, seriously, Lando, you lie in front of telepaths? Are you stupid? Oh. Yeah, they don't really seem to speak, though. Yeah, they didn't do anything. I would think they might be too scared, though, to report what really was said. You know, if now their emperor is dead. I wonder, I was wondering, will they go to a new emperor or to the new emperor? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a waste to give, you know, of their training to, you know, have them not work with an emperor anymore. What was he talking about later that someone was being sent to the, to work somewhere and... Was I thought he was talking about the telepaths then, but maybe I misunderstood. I don't know. Hmm. I know you were talking about his the nephew of the emperor, or um, let's see, was he talking to? Uh, it was when he, they were talking about that the nephew was like on their side or whatever, and I think he was talking to Rifa, and he said that like basically they wouldn't be a problem that they had been sent somewhere. And now I need to go back and watch that. Remember exactly what he said. But I thought he was talking about the telepaths that he got rid of them because they knew. Oh, I didn't get that. Mm. Oh, I'm going to have to listen to watch that again, too. <laughs> I missed it, too. But I feel like I want to know what Timoff would have to say if she found this out. Mm. Timoff would set him She'd straight. She'd be very disappointed in him, I <laughs> yeah. think. Uh, JMS said that this guy was probably emperor for about 30 years or so. Okay. Mm. So that's where in Jakar's quarters, which are looking kind of rough there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sheridan goes to see him. He has an idea of how to help. He's called the council meeting, and Jakar thanks Sheridan for stopping him. When he said he knew how to help, cause, and he called the council meeting, I was just like, <laughs> really? You're going to put them in the same room together, and you think that that's yeah. a good idea? Yeah. Let him cool off a little. So at the council meeting, Londo says they can't allow the captured civilians to return to the normal home world, and Jakar shows up. Sheridan says he's gotten permission from Earth to send observers to the colony to find out how, and they're going to try to find out how the um, colony was conquered so quickly and assess the situation there to make sure the Nars are being treated well. Um, Londo says at this point he might be able to allow the civilians to return to the normal home world as a gesture of goodwill, so you don't really need to send those observers there anymore. <laughs> this was clever. Yeah. 
and they can still figure out like I don't know if the Narn would ever let them talk to the or whatever talk to the people and ask them what they saw, but yeah, there's still a way of finding out more. Um, Although I'm wondering now they're actually officially now they're officially at war whether well, yeah. that's not actually going to happen. Now that they're at war, everything's off the table, I guess. But yeah, but he didn't know that when he was you know talking to Londo. Oh no, no. Essentially, um, the Kari through Jakar now have kind of condemned all those Narns. So, yeah, the Narn government has declared war on the Centauri Republic. And next we see Rifa talking to Londo and Veer. They say the balance of power is changing back home, and several competing families have already been neutralized, and now the Emperor's nephew is the successor to the throne, and he's, he likes Londo and Rifa, I guess. I noticed that Veer refused to like, toast with Rifa. I noticed that, too, and he had a yeah. great expression on his face. Hmm. I think also Veer uh, doesn't pick um, what's it, Reefer's glass when he Reefer kind of gives it to him as kind of, here, I take this. Veer yeah. refuses and, you know, kind of gives Reefer a dirty look. Uh, Reefer says the new emperor will be grateful for what Londo has does and leaves. And after he leaves, Veer surprised that Londo didn't have to be named to the royal court because that'll put him in line to be emperor himself. And Londo says he prefers to work behind the scenes since it's a lot safer. <laughs> I don't know. Do we believe him? Does, do we think that he doesn't want to be emperor? Maybe he thinks that will prevent his you know, future vision from coming true or something. Yeah, that's kind of what I get. He seemed frightened of the idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to know if he thinks that if he actually believes that he can prevent it, like if he thinks that this is just a possible future and so he's actually preventing it, or if he thinks that it's going to come true no matter what he does, so it doesn't really matter. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so Garibaldi, we see Garibaldi talking to the ranger. He thanks him for his help. This information may have saved a quarter of a million Narns. Garibaldi will cooperate with him as long as the rangers keep him informed on what they find out. But Garibaldi just has to keep their presence a secret and find out that only one other person besides Garibaldi knows about the rangers being there. Yeah, who else could it have been? His <laughs> wife. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> she gets her own hello, old friend message. Which you were yeah. quite indignant Same. about. Yeah, I mean, is that really what you call your wife? No. That's right. <laughs> And it can't have been the same message that Garibaldi got because there's no way he would need to explain everything like that. So, yeah. So yeah, I don't like that. That was that was rude. So the Rangers, the only one who knows who got who, who got what. Oh, that that uh, the land. Yeah, the mess- yeah. Yeah. Do you think the name might know as well though? Considering I, maybe. the amount of stuff the land yeah, she might tell them. Yeah, maybe. Of course, he didn't know what she was going to become, right? He didn't know that she was going to become half-human. No, she, he knew she was doing something, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't have all the information, so... You know, we haven't seen her triangle game this season. Were we supposed to think that whatever she was doing with the triangle game was related to her cocoon? Um, the I think you're supposed to... Get the idea that that would in the end that that was the machine she was assembling to create the cocoon. Yeah, that's uh, what I had thought too. 
Okay, okay. It's ringing a bell now. Yeah, it'd be like assembling components of a machine, you know, putting together uh, pieces of crystal in this case, as opposed to circuitry. Yeah. Uh, that's all I have on this episode. Any, yes. Any final thoughts from Carl on this episode? Um, I think he really liked. Well, he particularly liked Jakar. Thought you know, particularly the actor acted it well in this episode. And uh, I guess when we do predictions, I got him to say a couple of things, but <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, that he doesn't really like making predictions. Yeah. <laughs> he forced it out of him. Yeah. <laughs> got to see Sinclair. Mm. Lando made some bad decisions. Yeah. Or a bad decision. All right. How about we do quotes of the week? Okay. I'll go first. Um, most of this has been said, but the last part never did. So. Stay close to the Vorlon and watch out for the shadows. They move when you're not looking at them. Mm-hmm. Mm. I have no idea what that means, but it's freaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a Jakar. I was ready. I had the dagger in my hand and he had the indecency to start dying on his own. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's followed up a little bit later with maybe it's good news with Lucky's feeling better. All they have to do is prop him up for two minutes, and uh, and then he makes a stabbing motion. I'll call you back. <laughs> I love that part. That part I couldn't find. That was my favorite part of it. Oh, uh, it really was good. Who else? Lori? Um, yeah, uh, I, I kind of had uh, both of those, but then um, I have Londo's. Um, no, I have no desire to become emperor. No, I prefer to work behind the scenes. The reward is nearly as great, and the risk far, far less. Okay. Mm-hmm. There really weren't that many quotes in this one, given how good of an episode it yeah. was. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth? I have a quick one from Jakar. Um, I reached up my hand, and he betrayed me. Ah. Mm-hmm. And who's going to do the kosh? Yeah, so that was my only <laughs> other one. How will this end in fire? <laughs> <laughs> I do have one from Sinclair from early in the episode, which is worth it. Now, if this bothers you, I suggest you stay in your quarters and stick your fingers in your ear and hum real loud until it's all over. <laughs> oh, so that yeah. Was that yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had that, that one, too. That was Sheridan. Yeah. yeah. That would be sounds hilarious like... if St. Clair said that on his recording. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds more like a um, Ivanova line, though, to me. It, yeah. It a little bit, yeah, out of context. So how about we do characters of the week? Hum- who is human of the week? Sinclair? Yeah, I want to yes, say Sinclair. Yes, I have yeah. Sinclair. Yeah, yeah he, can't, he really had to get this honorable mention. That's true. Uh, well, Carl, of course, has to do someone unusual. Um, so Carl ha- actually had Aragorn down as the human of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I really but... couldn't quite decide. I was kind of going with yeah, the ranger, but I'm good with Sinclair. Yeah, who knows when we'll see him again, if ever. Exactly, that was my thought. I was like, okay, gotta give it to him, because he's there. Yep. yep. Sinclair, okay, who's Alien of the Week? Oh, I like this the is Emperor, but... One. Yeah, mine was between Jakar and the Emperor. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we went with yeah. Jakar. Carl, well, his rule was normally to give it to Kosh, if Kosh is in the episode, but he thought Jakar was just so amazing that had to give it to Jakar. Can we give it to both of them? Because both of them are excellent. Jakar and the Emperor. Mm-hmm. I I'm think fine with that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> or 
were you going to say, Heidi? I was just going to say, I think if we have to give it to one, it should be the emperor because he just dead. <laughs> he is dead. He pays He's the not price. Coming back. <laughs> he won't have a chance to get it again. That's true. No, Unless no, something strange really. happens. I want to call it a tie. Jakar and the emperor. Emperor Jakar. <laughs> emperor and his attempted assassin. All right, let's do episode ratings. Want to start us out, Lori? Okay. Um, I'll do Carl's first. Um, Carl's rating was nine out of ten cold, cold hearts. Mm. And, uh, of course, referring to Londo. Uh, and my rating, I think, is also going to be um, nine out of ten uh, linked telepaths. Yep, high praise. Yeah, yeah, I I'd really, I just, I don't give a lot of tens or even nine and a halves, so um, not really particularly a point off for anything in particular. On the rewatch, I was thinking there's a, there was a bit of exposition, there were some kind of talky-talky parts that went a little slow on rewatch, but um, it was all very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, Heidi? Um, I'm kind of going back and forth between 9.5 and 10, because... I hate to give tens because then what if something is so much better? Um, mm-hmm. I I really really enjoyed it and I loved seeing Sinclair and everything like really moved forward and I thought that was great. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. Ten out of ten <laughs> messages from an old friend. Yay! Yay. <laughs> How about you, Elizabeth? Uh, yeah, have to agree. I thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it completely ramped up the season and was so excited weirdly weirdly excited to see sinclair like i know we didn't like him when he was there i know <laughs> love your squeals <laughs> absence apparently really makes the heart grow fonder because yeah. we were incredibly excited um yeah, and just, you know, what's going on with Londo, his descent into darkness, and Jakar's crazed, you know, attack mode, and, um, <laughs> I mean, just even finding out, you know, what's going on on Mimbar, and seeing Kosh again, and it was all fantastic. Um, so, I'm kind of like you guys, I don't like to give tens. I mean, I don't like, I don't like to, but I always am thinking, you know, the only thing that brought this, I mean, if there was anything that brought this down a little bit is, I think what Lori said, there was a little bit of an exposition and uh, I'm not one for heartfelt speeches to each other, but um, so the emperor and Sheridan talking probably didn't do what it was supposed to for me, but I will still give it a 9.5 out of 10 Jakar Hulk smashes. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> What do you say, Ian? Yeah, this this feels like the start of season two, the proper start. Everything up to now has been set up, putting things in place just to get them knocked down. And I love it. This is the great thing Babylon 5 does so well. It'll ramp things up, and then you'll get an episode as awesome as this that will just knock everything down, but it sets so much more up. You get to see Centauri Prime for the first time. You, the world just gets that much bigger. And that... We've got the start of a non-Centauri war. Things have clearly changed. It just feels like everything's on a knife edge. And 
I'm, I'm really happy with it. I think this is a great place to really start ramping things up. So I'm going to give it nine out of 10 Rangers. Awesome. Well, I really love this episode for you know, the reasons that you all say. It may not be my favorite episode of the series, but I don't think they did anything wrong in this episode. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 bad dreams. Nice. This has got to be our nice. highest rated episode. Yes, oh, I think it's so, yeah. Nine and a half is this total. Oh, did we is... tell you it gets better in season two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laurie, one other your thing. Number one? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, this was my number one choice. Yeah, the um, the other one I just stepped in to do because no one volunteered for it. <laughs> but yeah, this was my number one choice. And I mean, there are other really excellent episodes coming up in season two as well. I don't think that's a spoiler. But this is kind of the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, one thing JMS said in his notes that I thought was interesting is, you know, he's he's designed this really like a whole, like a like a story, the way you write like a full book. And this is the episode that he thinks of as the beginning of the rising action. Okay. Um, and yeah. so it's really so that was one reason why I picked it. It's kind of where everything really starts to ramp up. Yay. So Babylon Square did get a tenth of a point higher. Did it? Oh, sorry. That was probably me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's take a trip to Feedback Land. Okay. Get on my iPad to get to Feedback Land. Hold on. We have, first we have a comment from Board99. I'll take that one. Board says, there are probably people who don't like the coming of shadows. Stay away from them. They may appear human, but look into their eyes. They're dead inside. (laughs) Oh, yeah. A bit strong. Okay. What I would say is that if you don't like the coming of shadows, Babylon 5 probably isn't for you. As Ian said, Chrysalis is when Babylon 5 starts to feel like Babylon 5, which is to say it starts to feel like this. Space opera that's that's really operatic with over-the-top moments of drama in which characters make pivotal choices. A better future for everyone is made or cruelly snatched away, and the status quo is changed radically, permanently, by the time our 42 minutes of television are over. Sometimes the choices are wrong and the consequences are disastrous, but the characters do what they do for reasons that you can't help but understand. If you were Londo, you'd probably do exactly what he does. The Coming of Shadows isn't necessarily the best episode of Babylon 5, but it's the one that most that's most important to me personally. I started in season two. Up to this point, all I thought the show was was an adequate but dis- disposable sci-fi procedural, which was distinguished mostly by having an awful lot of people in the credits at the beginning. I can still remember my reaction when I saw The Coming of Shadows all those years ago. Wow, this show is good. I never missed another episode. Thank you, nice. boys. Oh, yeah, cheers. You. you really got across how epic this story is. And by story, I mean the whole arc of Babylon 5. Our next comment is from Tori. Who wants to take that one? Uh, I can take it. Oh. All right, so Tori says, So a quick catch-up on the last few episodes. This is about a race through dark places. This was actually the first episode of B5 I ever saw so many years ago. Oh, 11-year-old me had no idea what started that day when I stuck around for evil Chekhov and the prospect of staying up past my bedtime. 
Weirdly, I can remember how several things from that first viewing stuck with me over the years, mostly from the Sheridan and Ivanova plot, actually, but I don't actually remember what it was that had me coming back for more the next week. Also, I for one stand behind Sheridan's dumb jokes, but then I've always had a soft spot for bad or corny ones. (laughs) And then this is in regards to airing order. I'm a little iffy on which order makes more sense for soulmates versus wraiths through dark places. The Delenn-related subplots make more sense with soulmates first, and for Londo, I like having the gap between soulmates and coming of shadows. But the Shalia stuff does make more sense with race first, so I've never had a good answer. And then, coming of shadows. I can't seem to find anything to say about this episode, as I expect you've already had quite a discussion of it by this point, as there is a lot to discuss here. My thoughts basically boil down to all Londo. Good for Sinclair keeping busy on Minbar, and a general sweet Minbari Jeebus. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a dang good episode. As I expect, these points have been covered. I have little to add. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the sweet oh, Minbari Jeebus part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we can't go into that. Thank you, Tori. Thank you. Uh, our next email is from Thomas. Who wants to read Thomas's Yay, Dakar! And Londo are back for an episode focusing mostly on them. But, holy cripes, no, Londo, what are you doing? Stop that! Oh, hell! <laughs> so, yeah, the Centauri are now at war with Nan, and Londo is a major stupid head. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad for Dakar in this one. Both Andreas Katsuras and Peter Jurassic are amazing. Singer is back, kinda. And we get a tiny bit of Kosh too. Kosh didn't really have anything particularly cryptic to say, but I think Sinclair handled that role this time. <laughs> Shadows move, huh? whoop de doo <laughs> Why Franklin didn't have anything to say about the new Emperor's supposed continue whisper at the end? Did he bump in and forget what he was doing earlier in the day? Damn it, Stephen! That's a good point. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> Franklin knew that the Emperor wanted to apologize to the Narn, so why would he say continue this war? Yeah, oh, right, right, yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, he didn't say continue this war. He said something a little bit more vague, right? Londo said something a little bit more vague. Oh, yeah. take our people back or something Back to like the that. stars. Yeah. yeah, so that's vague enough to be interpreted any way anyone wants. Uh, he goes on to finish, this will end in fire. Best episode yet? Definitely up there. Most importantly, however, Delend got friend-zoned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Delend. Peace, peace, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. Short and sweet, <laughs> but great. Our next email is from Katrina, and it's on Soulmates. Okay. Do you want me to just take both of hers? They're fairly short. Okay. Uh, Hi, everyone. I just finished listening to your Soulmates podcast, and I have to agree with just about everything you said. This episode shows the difference the right guest actor makes. Timoff could have been as dull as Matt Stoner, but she wasn't. It was fun that all Londo's wives have joke names, although Marielle's Mary Hell isn't as obvious as the other jokes. Okay. She also has an Ariel for powerful men or... Man Ariel. Okay. Again, this story doesn't follow the usual TV tropes. If it had done that, Matt would have 
mind-zapped Londo and Timoff, who would have found they secretly loved each other for years. Saccharin and boring. My favorites for the episode were Timoff and Garibaldi, and I gave it 8 Centauri Matriarchs out of 10. By the way, my guess is that Londo's Ascension Day was when he became a recognized adult socially, like a special 21st birthday. Thanks for your very addictive podcast, Katrina, in Australia. Next email is from Katrina on our Race Through Dark Places. Um, okay. Hi again, everyone. Well, we now know something for sure. Give Dr. Franklin a rule and he'll break it. We should have known from season one when his evil, evil archaeologist rule breaker friend visited, or from Believers, or from any episode he's been in. But up to now, it was all one-off small stuff. This is different. Bester makes an excellent enemy, but the story is gray enough that it's not clear if he's a villain or a weapon of authority. Walter Koenig as Bester makes the most of trashing his goody-two-shoes Star Trek reputation by being evil, although with more subtlety than I expected. I like this episode, but it doesn't stand out from the crowd. Best human, Bester. 7.5 out of 10, BC News. Cheers, Katrina from Australia. Thanks, Uh, Katrina. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Katrina, for both emails. Really looking forward to actually seeing what you thought of this one. Mm -hmm. I like how international... Babylon 5 fans are. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. nice. Well, it's not centered on any one country or any one culture because we're actually dealing with alien cultures and seeing them as equal as Earth culture. I think it really does have that multicultural feel that other sci-fis don't always have. Yeah. Yeah, I think JMS's new show is supposed to be like worldwide, taking place all over the world. And he says it's going to change TV. Yeah. Huh. Good yeah. <laughs> if it was from anyone else, I wouldn't believe that. But from the great maker himself, yeah, I kind of do. Our next email is from Victor. I'll take that one. Victor says, this is the episode I've been waiting for. It seemed to go on for two hours, and I mean that in a good way because it was loaded with action. Jakar was so upset because the Centauri Emperor is paying a visit that he seemed to be getting in touch with his inner Klingon. The actor must have loved this episode because he spent most of it chewing the scenery. Ouch. <laughs> Oddly enough, the Emperor is a reasonable, down-to-earth fellow, so unlike Londo. Now, in his final days, the long-winded Emperor says he is determined to make a difference, and I'm sure he will if he ever stops talking. prepare <laughs> <laughs> oh, to him. Meanwhile, slimy Lord Rifa is back, conspiring to undermine the Emperor, and Jakar is plotting to kill him before the poor man can even apologize to him. So he is incensed when the Emperor has the audacity to collapse before Jakar can assassinate him. Remember how happy Londo was a couple weeks ago when he was divorcing his wives? It looks like happy Londo has left the building and won't be back anytime soon. He ignores Veer's protestations and directs his associates to attack a Norn outpost. I think Veer should have his own mantra, just like Ibanova. Always listen to Veer. Veer is always right. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah. Timoff should have been here. He would have listened to Timoff. Right. There's a sequence, sequence which may be a flash forward or foreshadowing a decrepit Emperor Londo and then Jakar and Londo killing each other. Either way, it doesn't look good for Londo, but that's what happens when you don't listen to Veer. Mm. While the spider ships are wiping out the Narn outpost, Jakar has been so moved by the Emperor's apology that he has a change of heart about Londo and decides to befriend him. When Jakar invites him for a drink, Londo looks like he wishes he could be anywhere else. As he makes the most awkward toast ever, Londo doesn't just look like the cat that swallowed the canary. He looks like he swallowed an entire aviary. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Of course, this leads to the predictable explosion when Jakar learns of Londo's treachery. In the end, we even get to hear from Sinclair, who has established a joint Minbari human group of rangers. Kosh even makes an appearance as chatty as ever. All hands are on deck for this one. In my opinion, this was the first truly great episode of Babylon 5, and I'll give it 10 scenery-chewing narns out of 10. Regards, Victor. Nice. Thanks, Victor. So next email is from Michael. I can take this one. And so it begins. Hi, all. Well, that was a great episode and really jump-started many of the plot lines and threads that I most fondly were. So much happened in a struggle to know... It's a struggle to know where to start. Let's go with the Emperor. We finally meet him. Have a little time to get to know and like him. And then he's gone. If only he had lived long enough to make that speech, how different things might have been. Interesting little snippets about the four telepaths, role of the Prime Minister and the history of his family. He seemed to he seemed a little sprightly for a man on his last legs at times, but over and all an engaging and enjoyable performance. Pity he won't be back. Yeah. I loved all the talks of intrigue and plotting between Lando and Lord Reefa, but I more often found myself looking at Via in the background, giving another masterclass in conveying discomfort just by using facial expressions. He was great in this episode and really played Lando's consequence well, telling him truths that deep down he knew anyway. After Lando woke from his dream, I think that the attack hadn't already started. He would have pulled the plug, but as it was already underway, he was all in and knew that there was no turning back. The dream itself wants another email, but I'll just have to settle for listening to your theories, else I'll never finish. Another brutal attack by the spider ships, where we continue which continue to look cooler every time they appear, and the Narns quite rightly declare war. We known it was coming due to the opening credits voiceover, but I love Jakar's delivery of this decoration. Well, do we know that the Narns and the Centaur were going to declare war, though? We knew a war was coming, at least. Mm-hmm. I always thought it would be the war with the spider ships. Speaking of Jakar... I think this was another huge turning point for him. Seeing the possibility of hope and peace dangled in front of him and then having it snatched away, I can't wait to see what he does next. After he buys himself a new stone table, that is. I suppose I should mention the humans a little bit. Sinclair finally has remembered to call his best friend and say hello. It seems they don't have phones on Membar, so he had to use carrier Pigeon the person. But seriously, it was great to see him again, even if it's just on a video screen, especially given what we know about the actor was going through and the time, at the time. It adds an extra layer of believability, having him, however briefly, and he's... Having him appear, however briefly, and his rangers seem to be an interesting bunch. But how pissed will Ivana be, be when she 
finds out she was left off the letter list. Mm. Lastly, I'm really glad that the Emperor got his wish and we saw Kosh back on our screens again. What a great, what a great camera shot of the encounter suit. Looking up at it with a close-up from below showed lots of the great detail and effects. A funny moment that had me laughing when was when Londo and Darifa were talking conspiratorially about attacking the Narns whilst walking through an open marketplace with a Narn extremely literally <laughs> Narn extra literally inches behind them. <laughs> a really obvious spy perhaps? <laughs> yeah, they do have a propensity to talk about things in the open. Mm-hmm. Episode rating night out of ten. I nearly loved everything about this episode, but I can't go to a 10 yet as I have to leave some space for the really good ones I know are coming. Human of the Week, I nearly gave it to Sinclair for his reappearance, but I'm going to go for Dr. Franklin for delivering that moving speech to Jakar, which was a really good speech. You know, as we said, it's a great showing for Franklin in this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Alien of the Week, what a choice I had. Londo, Jakar and the Emperor were all excellent, but I really felt Veer owned all the scenes he was in this week and he struggled to watch as Londo damned himself and maybe his people. There were so many good quotes and meaningful speeches that I wanted to mention, but I told for my favourite from Veer. I know you don't listen to me, Londo, but I'm asking you this one time. Don't do this. There's no turning back once you start down that road. Thanks once again for the great podcast, Michael, UK podcast fan. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. That was a Michael. great quote. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our next email is from Yan. <laughs> Who wants to take that one? I can take it. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, fellow lurkers and down below. Here is a bit of feedback for Season 2, Episode 9, The Coming of Shadows, written by JMS. The Centauri Emperor Turhan visits Babylon 5, and Jakar is offended. What he does not know is that the Emperor wants to apologize, officially and publicly, to the Narn for the Centauri occupation. And he wants to see a Vorlon. Since Jakar does not know how he plans to assassinate Emperor Turhan, but Turhan suffers a heart attack before that can happen... The arrogant, scheming Lord Rifa is back. Veer in the background is a gem. Londo and Veer have something in common, the conversation with Rifa. And Londo claims to have no choice. Veer vehemently disagrees. Now, this is all about choices and consequences. Is it not, Ambassadors? Yes, I think Lord. Oh, I think, yeah. I mean, and again here, Londo's position that he has no choices echoes the Emperor's. Um, right. That's actually really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing. Londo has dreams, or should we say nightmares, spidery ships over his home planet, himself as an old emperor, and his death, and yes, the hand reaching out from the stars is there too. Mr. Morden and the spidery ships are back. Hooray! Our ambassadors are happy now, are you not? <laughs> and, dear ambassadors, is it me or are the ships screaming? Ooh, interesting. I think you guys mentioned a, a shriek or a loud sound. Sorry, yeah. hard to tell. Yeah, it, listen it, carefully. Uh, oh, when you watch that back, just the sound 
when the ships are going overhead or pass by, there is a very specific sound that I always find very creepy. Right. And the only time you would get that sound if they were in the the atmosphere uh, of the planet. So they'd have to be really close. Um, Okay. And the Emperor tells Londo that they, he and Rifa, are both damned. And someone wants desperately to speak with Mr. Garibaldi. Who is this guy? And what does he want? Did you guess who sent the message, dear ambassadors? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, good old Sinclair has a message for Garibaldi. Hello, old friend. So he sent a ranger. You may not have noticed, but until now, there have been a few sightings of rangers on B5. Mr. Straczynski knows how to do foreshadowing, does he not? Yes, if I had noticed it. (laughs) Everyone, just to make it easier, say JMS or the Great Maker. Either work, (laughs) and either are at... You know, it's just too hard to say Mr. Straczynski. <laughs> yeah. Does it roll off the tongue? Yeah, I just um, say JMS. <laughs> yeah. And what does he really mean? Stay close to the Vorlon and watch out for the shadows. They move when you're not looking at them. And finally, desperate Jakar has to make a choice. Revenge or saving the lives of his people. Jakar's final speech at the council gives me shivers. Favorites. Quote, this episode is full of good quotes, so I'll mention a few here. Feel free to leave those out that you have quoted already. Emperor Turhan, about regrets. Enough to fill a lifetime. So much has been lost, so much forgotten, so much pain, so much blood. And for what, I wonder? The past tempts us, the present confuses us, the future frightens us. And our lives slip away moment by moment, lost in that last terrible in-between. But there is still time to seize that last fragile moment, to choose something better, to make a difference, as you say. And I intend to do just that. Yeah, uh, this is the thing. It's full of great speeches and moments like that. And they're really hard to quote, but they are brilliant. And I'm so glad you actually decided to write in with it because each one of those ones that is always worth remembering. Um, Another exchange, Sheridan and Turhan. Why are you here in this place, in that uniform? Was it your choice? Sheridan, it was my choice. Um, It has never occurred to me that I have never chosen anything. I was born into a role that was prepared for me. I did everything I was asked to do because it never occurred to me to choose otherwise. And now at the end of my life, I wonder what might have been. Um, Londo to Veer, I understand just fine. By this time tomorrow, we will be at war with the Narn. May the great maker forgive me. Um, St. Clair on the Rangers. They are my eyes and my ears. Where you see them, you see me. Um, okay. Jakar, before I came here, I received a communique from my government. For a hundred years, the Centauri occupied our world, devastated it. We swore that we would n- never let that happen again. This attack on our largest civilian colony has inflicted terrible damage and loss of life. They have crossed the line we cannot allow them to cross. As a result, two hours ago, my government officially declared war against the Centauri. Our hope for peace is over. We are now at war. We are now at war. I think that's it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, human Sinclair, alien Emperor Turhan. Reading, I love this episode. A lot happens, and we see Sinclair, even if it only in a recorded message. I give this a solid 10 out of 10 attacking spidery ships. And with this, watch out for the coming of shadows. Yeah, and the battle. Well, we just watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Yan. Thank you, Yan. Cheers, Yan. Our final email is from Anka. I'll take this one. Hi, Down Below Team. Before I get to my review about this week's episode, and I need some time to digest that one, first, 
I'd like to mention a quote from last episode that I had written down, but I don't remember it was mentioned during the podcast. The quote is by Sheridan after Delin asked him out for dinner. One day they're shooting at you. The next day they're taking you out to dinner. What a universe. <laughs> the episode is somehow strangely related to that quote. This episode is strangely related to that quote from last week, and that's why I kept it on my list. Membari and humans seem to find a way to work together and forget about their problems. We learn about a small army called the Rangers, for example, but two other races stand at a crossroads over the course of the episode, tear down a bloody path. The whole episode leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I feel so badly for the two main players in this very strange power tango. And that's what makes this episode work, and why it is the absolute best episode so far for me. Lando and Jakar are both changing over the course of the story, both, both in opposite directions. Jakar starts out as we know him, the angry Narn that the war has made him, trying to kill the Emperor, putting the weight of all of the war crimes on the Emperor's shoulders. Of course, the Emperor is completely different when we meet him, a kind man, interest, interested to understand the wonders of the universe and questioning his place. He has seen a lot of evil and he wants to make good. What ends up being delivered by Dr. Franklin, great performance, is a true sorry, and you can see Jakar changing right in this instance. But his changed self shows mostly in his, for crying out loud, sad face when he announces a declaration of war by his government at the end of the episode. See, I I saw it as sad, but I also saw it as repressed rage. Yeah. But that's the sign of a great anger actor, sorry, that he can convey both of those emotions because a real character would be going through both of those things. Mm-hmm. Lando, on the other hand, I wanted to yell at him, listen to Veer, again a great performance, and stop yourself before it's too late. A dream makes him wake up and realize it is too late for him to stop his actions. The attacks have already started. His tragic face when Jakar invites him for drinks is also super sad, and I couldn't resist to feel for him. Strangely, he is not a person I could hate, although he starts all those awful things. At the beginning of the episode, he still has some respect for the old ways. He feels uncomfortable being dragged into the Game of Thrones. Hmm. George R. R. Martin, go figure. Then he completely side rails, and wham, he has a war at his hands. Great maker, Lando, what did you do? I don't want to forget about Sinclair. He is back, and he has taken a job that not even the president knows about. Maybe that's good, knowing there is something suspicious about this president. This is going to be interesting. But first, let's see if you can do that, Will or Ian. Sinclair, 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 Sheridan, Sinclair, Sinclair, Sheridan, Sinclair. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well done. My favorite alien. It could be the Emperor, but I have to give it to Jakar for his great performance. Maybe Londo, but he was the bad guy this time. My favorite human. It has to be Sheridan. He is just so atop of the thing called diplomacy. Great work how he handles the situation. Favorite one thing we didn't mention uh, this episode of how much Sheridan actually stepped up this episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he really did do exactly what they said. He stepped up and he was the diplomat the uh, times required of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was able to handle Jakar to the best that anybody could handle Jakar, I guess. Yeah. As she says, favorite quote, Londo, the conversation makes you uncomfortable. Ye, fear, yes, very. Londo, then we have something, then we have for once something in common. Anka to TV, Londo, Londo, listen to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. 
Oh man, there is no question. I give it 10 out of 10 war declarations. This is heavy stuff. Can't wait until I hear your podcast and we can all continue to follow along. Keep up the great work. I can imagine this will be one of the best podcasts. All those discussions. Cheers, Anka. Oh, well, I hope we had enough yeah. discussion for you. <laughs> oh, Thanks, yes. Anka. And if we don't, there's promise of more discussions to come. Oh, yeah. Well, if you want your voice heard on this show, leave us an iTunes review. Leave a comment on downbelowpodcast.com or send us email to mail at downbelowpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can Ooh. leave messages in Facebook as well. Yeah. Yeah, and also, if you really want to and are happy to do so, send in an MP3 or audio file. You'd oh, yeah. to actually hear your voice. Yeah, I keep thinking we ought to do that. <laughs> oh, my God, you should. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was telling Lori that her and Carl should do a uh, commentary sometime. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> He likes to commentary while we watch. We, we He pauses it, comments, keeps going. <laughs> it's right up his alley then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do predictions. The name of the next episode is Gropos. Uh, <laughs> again. Gropos. Which we know will... We've heard before. Pounders. Yeah, it's all caps. Yeah. It means, what did you say, Will? Ground pounders. Was that from when they were talking about? Um, wait, when did we know? When did we hear this? That was when the guy who oh, Garibaldi, yeah, the 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 vet, the veteran, yeah, when he was yeah. on that colony, and then the um, or he was on, and he and that alien thing took over or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was ground pounder infantry. <sighs> Flashbacks. I have no idea. Wow. Um, yeah, honestly, I I can't even... Like, it's not like this is a word that I can come to some other conclusion about. So, I I got nothing. I mean, I'm going to have to go with flashbacks because I don't think we're going to get into the meat of terrestrial battles between the Narn and Centauri at this point. Um, so somehow, maybe... Oh, maybe there's a flashback to an invasion on Earth. That's just my hope. That'd be amazing. Like the Mimbari were fighting. I don't know. That would be what I hope. So I'm going to go with flashback. Sounds good to me. Yay. So it is. <laughs> uh, overall predictions, though, because this episode must have given you plenty. Um, I think that Kosh's uh, crypticness here um, that'll end in fire. I think he's specifically talking about the Babylon station because I don't. I mean, we at least know that Mimbari lasts until Londo dies, I guess. So, like, I don't think that there's going to be this uh, big fireball and all the races die <laughs> within the um, scope of this series. So I think maybe he was talking about the Babylon 5 station. Hmm. See, I was going... I, I don't know specifically if this is tied to what Kosh said, but my prediction was going kind of the opposite. Like, I think that there's going to be mass mass casualties of almost almost like a wipe out of species uh at some um i just i just see like a major major um almost like a, an annihilation of a race mm-hmm. um i don't know i just it just seems so grand and i would be disappointed with anything less yeah you know? yeah um, 
so maybe when we see Jakar, he's the last of the Narn. Yeah, that's you know, I mean, and then of course he would be completely justified in whatever he did. But right, um, I mean, I just don't know what is the what is the motivation for these for this other race. Like, what what is their end game? You know, I mean, clearly they could be they could take over and kill whatever they wanted to. So, I mean, that's the big mystery to me is. Why are they working through this guy named Morden and asking for wishes? And why are they teaming up with the Centauri? And what is, you know, what are they getting out of this? Because um, if they wanted to, they could probably just destroy anything they wanted. Um, They're all just genies and can only do what's been wished for. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's like, yeah, maybe it's like they're dark people. They, they, they live on the darkness in people or in, in you know, living creatures or something. Because um, they are called shadows, so right, and they That's move. What, when, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hmm. And they can just disappear and come back. So, hmm, it's very, very intriguing. And then, yeah, I definitely see like way more focus coming in to the Membari than we've had this this season so far. Um, with the Membari human team up, um, and the Vorlons. Oh my God, will we see more than one Vorlon? That would be incredible. <laughs> That'd be great. Do you think that um, that Jakar and Londo are going to be able to remain on Babylon 5 as ambassadors when there's, like, this huge war going on between their two races? Like, oh, yeah. would they maybe pull one of them or the other out? Like, the, the Narn are just finally like, okay, there can't be peace, and so Jakar is coming home because we're fighting this war. Well... If it was like in 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 the context of things we know, I mean, I don't necessarily think that you would take ambassadors away from a neutral area. But the fact that he they he can't control himself <laughs> uh, in terms <laughs> of like physical violence, um, you know, Jakar is obviously a danger um, to neutrality and to peace talks. Well, and Londo's commanding things from there, so right, but they how don't know that territory working exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of like what people know, you know. Uh-huh. Like, they know that Jakar went to, you know, Hulk smashed his way down this ambassadorial <laughs> wing. <laughs> they don't know that Londo <laughs> is in league the with... The video's gone viral now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> On, uh... <laughs> yeah, ISN has definitely shown that video. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he... I mean, in the, in the real world, an action like that by an ambassador would, would not fly, but, um... Well, then we have to keep him there for the show so I don't know maybe we'll maybe he'll go and we'll see more on Narnia you know so that would be cool in preparation for war I just don't see them having a chance unless they're defended by other races because Tari have the fighter ships on their side well yeah so far we've seen nothing that can do anything about them so it'll be interesting to see how this goes Oh, well, um, and what about, um, Carl's predictions? You said he had a few of them. Um, yeah, he didn't really want to make a lot. I was asking him about what he thought about the shadows, and, well, he likes, he's very interested in Warden, well, and, of course, assumes that he's, you know, doing what the shadows tell him to, and he feels like that they, that they basically are trying to work indirectly through, you know, just making people do what they want to do anyway, even though they don't know that or, you know, without knowing what the, you know, like the end game is. 
And he was thinking that maybe the shadows are going to try to corrupt Earth government or, or get involved somehow in Earth government um, in terms of turning them against the other races or s- somehow doing what the shadows want them to do. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, I can't I can't predict at this point what the, how the Psycor fits into all this. You know, because we're kind of building that up at the same time as we're building this up. So I'm sure they're going to coalesce and come together somehow, but... I cannot figure out how. Well, Laurie, it was great having you back on the show. It this was week. fun oh, and yeah. for an excellent episode. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One of the, it's up there. Yeah. So is there anywhere we can find you out there? Um, no, not really. I, I guessed it on a couple of, um, the investigating Mars, um, uh, episodes, which uh, they're just finishing up now, but if you haven't checked it out, it's a great podcast as well. Cool. Can't remember if you're scheduled to be back, but you know, not may this, ask you to fill in. Yeah, not this season, but yeah, if uh, someone can't make it or something. Yeah, this season really filled up fast. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll definitely be back next I'll season, be- right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Okay, good. Yep. I'm enjoying watching along with you. Oh, uh, good. Really Yay. Yeah, and it, it's fun, uh, you know, it's fun to have a newbie, and uh, so far, Carl's good with just doing the one a week. I mean, you know, he's so busy with school and all and everything, so, you know, and we watch other stuff, too, so. Oh, that's good, yeah. yeah. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's all we have for this week, folks. We'll be back next time with Gropos. <laughs> and- <laughs> oh, yeah. Until then... Goodbye. Goodbye, old friends. Bye. (laughs) Oh, I just realized that Gropos could be Dr. Franklin. No, Gropos. (sighs) Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast.